1: If I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today.
0: Stallion, I just got back from Disney World with my feeling. Bro, I thought I was living my best life until we got Sarah Weaver sharing what she's been doing for like the last almost 10 years traveling the world, truly
1: living a life that would inspire most of us. What was your take from this interview? Oh, man, so many so many cool takeaways from Sarah, Uh, one of which was what's the over under my in your opinion, Russ, that we're going to have midterm rentals on the passive income report real quick after this interview. I'd say it's strong to quite strong. <laughs> I could see your brain just moving at a fast pace as uh, Sarah was sharing all the pros and the cons of this strategy. But to me, it's just a beautiful picture of somebody getting laser focused about what do they want their lifestyle to look like and then making sure their investment strategy their passive income strategy matches and supports that lifestyle. That's the aha of of this interview, along with who do you really think you are? Who do you identify as? Is it your day job or is it an investor, a full-time investor? That was huge for me.
0: Yeah, I I love the way that she really kicked in the groin the concept (laughs) of why are we accepting the thought process that we must be workaholics while we must work all our lives where she was like, Hey, it's okay to work your eight to five or nine to five or whatever it is, but enjoy life after that. Like, don't just be so focused on the here now that you miss what's going on. Right. You miss the opportunity to enjoy this, where, where you are and where God's blessed you to be. And I, I think that that was really cool that she figured out that she did not have to be, in the city and town that everybody else probably would have thought that that's where she should have spent her time. Yet now she travels the world enjoying what she does, getting to um, share how she's built a lifestyle of financial freedom through, like you said, and her book says it's best, the 30 day stay the investor's guide to mastering the mid mid midterm rental. And I think that that is one of those areas that I am interested in us to explore because the short-term rental space is is being scrutinized by regulatory agencies and all these different mis- municipalities. I think that this gives you a little more breathing room and maybe even takes care of some of the
1: headaches that we experience from time to time. No doubt. No doubt. She hit us with the term learn while you earn, which I think was huge. And uh, so many opportunities as you listen to our show and as you look around there's plenty of places where you can learn while you earn. It's just a matter of getting clear on that. Uh, you've heard us talk about long-term rentals. You've ter- heard us talk about short-term rentals. Now we're going to get it squeezed right in the middle. Where does that midterm rental guest uh, stay or tenant, as she called them? And how can you put yourself in the best position to take advantage of this opportunity? I say we don't take any more away from this interview with Sarah Weaver. Let's jump in right now. Tribe, you've heard us talk about every sort of real estate transaction there is. But today we're talking about the queen of the midterm rentals, Miss Sarah Weaver in the house. Sarah, so glad to have you. Thanks so much, Joey. What a great
0: intro, Joey. You almost completed that well. You said we're going to talk about, you've heard us talk about all these different real estate items. Let me introduce you to the queen of the midterm rental. What you didn't say, what he missed, Sarah, is that we have not had a chance to talk about this specific area. That's right. Before we get into midterm rental, which I'm super excited about. I think this is going to be where our new passive income stream is going to grow because of your experience, because of your expertise and all the free gifts you're going to give us and tips today. I want to take you to a moment where you're sitting at the dinner table with your family, and you say, hey guys, I'm uh, packing up everything and I'm moving to Argentina.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it was Thanksgiving, unlike any other Thanksgiving, at least on my end. For my family, it was just a normal Thanksgiving. And I told them that. I said, hey mom and dad, I'm moving to Argentina. (laughs) To which they replied, great, pass the gravy. (laughs)
1: so they they didn't just jump at it they didn't take you seriously
2: they believed that i was gonna do it that was not the but they were like yeah you're always traveling how is this different is what their response really was
0: and how was it different
2: for me it was different because i was moving like moving is a different verb than traveling at least in the eyes of me and I, they're right, I, I had traveled a lot. By then I had probably traveled to about 30 countries. Um, so that's a pretty substantial amount of traveling. This was different because I was packing one bag and I was buying a one-way ticket and I planned on being in South America for the entire year.
1: Okay, so how how did you get from the point of, hey, I'm traveling short-term to I want to literally relocate to a different country. Like what what changed maybe in your mindset?
2: I think that buying my first rental property gave me this sense of stability where I said, okay, I have this thing that will pay me money every month. And so now I don't actually have to be tied here to, like, for example, prior to that, I had been renting. And when you rent in an expensive city like Denver, Colorado, it feels irresponsible to be paying rent and then also then go pay for an Airbnb for three months in Argentina. Whereas all of a sudden I found a solution. I bought a house I using the house hacking strategy. I filled up all the rooms. I did the rent by the room strategy. And then my mortgage was completely covered. And then eventually I even replaced myself with renting my room out and I think that that gave me this sense of like, okay, I think I've got this whole thing figured out. I'm now going to go try to live in South America for a substantial amount of time.
0: All right, I want I want to come back to this moment, right? Because there's a lot of things that led up to that. But before that, Sarah Weaver was graduating college as an aspiring journalist, right? Journalism major and another. What what was your other? You, you had two two majors.
2: International studies. I wanted to be an international journalist, so I got a degree ah. in international studies and a degree with a Italian emphasis. Um, Maybe should have done Spanish, <laughs> but no, uh, Italian
1: and, always. <laughs> Italian is definitely the emphasis.
0: <laughs> so, uh, uh, as a, it makes sense that you're traveling in all these countries, you already had that background. But you you thought, hey, this is going to where I'm going to be in international business. I'm going to be in journalism. I'm going to be writing. Mm-hmm. Why is, why are you not doing that? Why is that not your full-time job?
2: It was not paying the bills and it's really stressful. The burnout level in journalism as a whole is wildly high. Um, it's incredibly stressful. You're on all the time. And it's not the golden years of journalism where I could just be a strong writer or a strong broadcast journalist. Now, journalists have to be tweeting instagramming creating content a good writer a good interviewer a good editor you're like six and one and you're getting paid less than you used to and so i'm not saying that the the like age of journalism is dead it's just significantly changed for someone like me
1: so obviously you started to see that that was not necessarily your ideal future yes you started seeing "I i can't possibly be the best in all these categories what then changed your your perspective and your path going forward from there?
2: I think I realized that what I really wanted was a remote job. And this was in 2015. So it's commonplace now that a lot of people have the ability to work remotely. But in 2015, that wasn't the case. And so I realized that it wasn't so much journalism that I loved. It was traveling. And so what if I had a job that paid me, but I could go live anywhere? And that's what I did. I pivoted to work for a real estate recruiting firm. And the boss was living in Florida at the time, but about to move to Portugal. And she said, yeah, you can live anywhere. And I said, yes, I would. I will accept this position.
0: (laughs) This is so funny. By the way, Sarah, when the when I left the traditional world to come into the financial space, I had accepted a job at a company that told me I was going to work 80 hours a week for two years and every Saturday. And I love college football. And I thought, oh, I can't do that. And then I had I accepted the job at 10 a.m. I go to this new firm or the this other firm. I'd had the interview on the books for a week. I was like, I have nothing to do anyway. I'll just go to this meeting. And they're like talking and they're like, oh, you can come back over the next couple of days. We'll do more meetings. Like, well, be honest. I've already accepted another job. If you want to d- knock it all out today, we can. And it was like, okay, well, let me let you have a conversation with one of the newer guys. And the first question I asked the newer guys here is how many hours a week do you work? And the guy says, I don't know, 35 to 40. And I was like, sold, done. <laughs> Sign me up. So we're two kindred spirits here. I, I get it. <laughs> All right. That's just a little history for those who who would care about my past. All right. Let's, let's move forward though. So you moved to Argentina. You had one rental property. Correct. Did it just stay at one rental property or what progressed from there?
2: Yeah. So from there, I I spent my time that year, really just like living the dream. I, I like to joke that my Tuesday nights were better than some people's vacations. I was still working nine to five. Like, I don't want it to be a a case of what I call Instagram versus reality. I was working on my computer from eight to five, um, but usually at a cute cafe or a cool co-working spot or maybe my Airbnb. And then the moment I closed my computer, I was in Buenos Aires, like, I was going to coffee shops, I was going to museums, I was making friends, doing language exchange. And that year really opened my eyes to almost this disease that we have as Americans, which is we're all workaholics. Like the fact that normalizing, telling applicants that 80 hours a week is the norm and the fact that you accepted it, I think is validation that like, this is a problem. Um, This is just not, and I'm, and no judgment to anyone that has gone through that or even enjoys that. But for me, that's not how I see the first 50 years of my life. That's not what I wanted to sign up for. And so I was so grateful to find a job that allowed me to work hard because I I am not a lazy person, nothing wrong with like bartending your way around the world, but that was never going to work for me. I'm wildly ambitious and I want to travel. And so the ability to like Put those two things together, that year was like one of my best years ever.
0: Man, language exchange. First time I've ever heard that phrase, by the way, Joey. Well,
1: you you also heard her with the Buenos Aires. Like she said <laughs> it. Yeah, she obviously got exchanged that language. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I can't say it like she it
2: does. really, it really was just a way to like meet cute Argentinians. <laughs> like you show up to these language exchanges, and it's like, why are there no girls here? And then you look around, and you're like, Oh, because all of the non-Spanish speakers are all girls. I see what this is. It's like modern dating.
0: <laughs> nice. What a, what an amazing concept there. Okay.
1: I should I have thought about that it, in college. I really
0: enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's. Yeah. How long though? So you, you're doing that. You're you're having amazing Tuesday nights, better than most of the stallions' vacations. <laughs> then what?
2: then I decided to buy another rental property. Um, but it was two years later I was still traveling, still working remotely. At this point I'd actually switched jobs to work for an investment focused real estate brokerage because I started I started to realize the power of just even that one rental property. And that's what I hope new investors realize is that you don't need to go buy a bunch of real estate. like I bought one then I focused on my lifestyle and my job. And then two years later, I bought another one. And so by that point, I was living in Mexico City. And I bought a place in Missouri. And that was my second rental property. And then that's kind of when I feel like I made an identity shift.
1: Okay, so let me you you start with saying I have a rental property. I'm assuming that was the one where you said it was a long term rental, and it was by the room. Is that what you said? So, but, but we started this podcast with the idea that you're the midterm rental queen and you even wrote the book on midterm rentals, uh, which I I want you to share with the audience here in just a minute. But when did that actually take place? Was it after that second one or is that what you're saying your identity changed?
2: Yeah, great question. So when I say my identity changed, that's when I started realizing I was a real real estate investor. So I started telling myself I was an investor. I was introducing myself as an investor. And so that's when I feel like I was taking real estate investing seriously was that second property. And then it was my third property that I bought that I turned into a medium term rental. And then that's when, I mean, everything changed.
0: What is a medium term rental, by the way? I understand what a long term rental is. I understand what a short term rental is. Explain medium term rental.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So medium term, midterm, MTR, it is like a short term rental. It's furnished. But instead of having two night or three night stays or even a week stay, your your guests are staying for 30 days or more so why is that important or why does that even deserve its own category it's because municipalities all across the us even the world are cracking down on short term regulations meaning they're making it so that landlords can't rent their place out for less than 30 days and so i like that distinction of this is a short term this is a medium term and then the question is okay well then why don't you just do long term or short term so my medium term is making way more than my long term but it also is taking up way less mind space than a short-term rental. I'm not thinking every three days, oh, what is there a turnover? Did the guest get the automated message? Did the cleaner do something? Oh, something's broken, so now I have to call a handyman. There's none of that. I like to say that there's about 70 to 75 days of silence while your guest is in the unit, and you're making two or two and a half times more than a long-term rental.
0: Mm. I love That's silence. Compelling. I
1: love silence, by the way. I, I it, he doesn't no. get it often though Sarah because he's <laughs> always talking. You see, I can't even yeah. get a word in edgewise on our stinking podcast. <laughs> Shut up already. <laughs> <laughs> So
0: you 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 say you had identity crisis. So you you you're now a, a real estate investor. Your mindset as a real estate investor. You're communicating in your language exchanges that you're a real estate investor.
2: <laughs> <Vienes races. laughs> <laughs> the like
0: NS Now, like, what did that do? So you got you got at this point you have three properties. It sounded like.
2: Yeah, so at this point I had two properties and okay. what an identity shift does for you is you start thinking what would a real estate investor do. Well, they would read books that real estate investors read. Um they join masterminds or communities or you know online communities. So I started hanging out with real estate investors. Everything was remote. I want this still to be clear. I was not hanging out with real estate investors in Argentina, was not hanging out with real estate investors in Mexico. But online, I was, you know, joining the Facebook groups, having chats, picking people's brains, which I hate that phrase, by the way. So I'm using air quotes for those (laughs) of you that can't see. Um, And so I just was doing what real estate investors do, which is analyzing deals and analyzing markets.
1: If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system? Stallion, that's why we created the Passive Income
0: Operating System, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher's saying, "pop quiz day, why? Because you were
1: unprepared. Are you unprepared though for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30 second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. I want to jump in, Tribe, and just reiterate something super powerful that Sarah is saying that we have said on the show a million times, but I want it to stick. You have a day job. Sarah had a day job, but she identified as a real estate investor. So when people asked her, what do you do? She didn't say... I work as a support person for this real estate investment firm or whatever it may be. I'm not sure what your title was. What she said is, I'm a real estate investor. And we have said this a million times, but once you put yourself in that position, you do start to see the world in a different perspective. And it forces you to grow and to expand. And so that's what's so powerful about what you're saying, Sarah, I love the strategy that you're getting into and we love to talk about strategies on the show, but who you are matters so much more than the actual strategy. It gives you purpose and direction. And so anyways, I, I'm, I just didn't want to miss that point tribe, like pay attention to this stuff and what it is for you to turn that light bulb on personally. So you're, you're now in this position, Sarah, And what was the next step that you took as a result of this?
2: Yeah, absolutely. The next step was I switched jobs. I really believe in the like learn while you earn strategy. So I switched jobs to learn about investing, took a little bit of a pay cut, but it was fine because at this point I'm living in Bali. (laughs) And and so I was like, oh no, you're going to pay me less, but I'm going to learn how to build a real estate empire and then quit this job. Okay, great. So took that job. And then COVID happened and I didn't think I should be in Bali. It Was that a good decision or not? I don't know. But I fled to New Zealand and I ended up being in New Zealand for 15 months. Yes, I bought a van because that's what you do when you go to New Zealand. And I was analyzing markets and properties from New Zealand.
0: Wow. You're, you're you're in a van down by the ocean, not by yeah. the river. Yeah, I like to
2: say I wasn't down by the river. I was like by a beautiful waterfall.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, you're out of a scene from Narnia or something at this point. So you're you're analyzing deals. You you're you're seeing the the handful of properties you have working, but still in your mind you haven't become the midterm queen as Joey no. titled you as, as you <laughs> came on. I'll take it. When did that happen?
2: So that happened 2021. I bought a fourplex, a duplex, a duplex, and a fourplex in 92 days. So I went from three units to 15 units in three months.
1: That that wasn't just a cute way to say the same properties over again, like a fourplex, (laughs) a duplex, a duplex, a fourplex. Those are actual all individual. Those are four different. Yeah, those are four different Okay, just making sure. Okay. Wow. Okay, so the, the natural question is, how did you do that? Because mm-hmm. you're still, you didn't have some major increase uh, in income or, or else, you know, something happened that you just left out. Maybe it just literally went from one every two or three years to bang four in one year.
2: Yeah. And then this is the craziest part is I bought all four of those with $12,000 down payment. So I'll explain how I did that. I house hacked a fourplex. So I used three and a half percent down FHA. I really believe in delayed gratification, but don't worry you guys, I'm not trying to like make a campaign for everyone to house hack. This deal still would have been a great deal if you had put 25% down, but I was able to put three and a half percent down because I sold the van in New Zealand and moved to Nebraska. So I bought this fourplex and then the two duplexes I bought using hard money and private money Used the Burr strategy to then refinance, and it was a near perfect Burr.
1: Okay, she so Tribe, She's uh, she's sharing all kinds of cool jargon and acronyms, but essentially, if I can break it down, you bought the first one with three and a half percent out of your own pocket. Correct. The second and third, you bought with hard money, meaning you went to somebody. And they lent you the money for the down payment and and the the main part of the loan, or did you have a, a secondary uh, loan, like a from a bank, to go with that hard money down payment?
2: So the hard money was the loan on the property. They required a down payment, which I then used from a private lender. And I always like to describe private money as like your rich uncle, and hard money is an actual institution.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So you bought those two with that sort of a format, and then you refinanced both of them Mm -hmm. with a traditional lender.
2: I actually quit my job during this time, which (gasps) is not necessarily advised, but I knew what I was doing. Um, And I refinanced into a 30-year product from the hard money lender. The terms on this was was, November 2021. It's a 3.87% interest.
0: Wow! Yeah, and were you able to get some cash back out of that deal? I mean, it had the property appreciated so much that allowed you the ability to do that without having to come up with the extra cash, so you could pay off the a rich uncle.
2: Yeah, great question. So I was able to pull all of the cash for the original loan and the down payment. I was not able to pay myself back for the nineteen to twenty thousand that I used for the renovation. So that went on business credit cards because I also travel hack and credit card hack. And then I paid that off with my own savings. So that's why I say it was a near perfect burr. I did not pay myself back for the $20,000 in renovation, but I paid my hard money lender and my private money lender completely by refinancing the property.
1: But then Um, you also then bought the fourth property with some of the proceeds of that refinance or no?
2: So then I bought the fourth property with a partner.
1: Gotcha. Okay, I was I was thinking the burr fed the fourth one. Okay, so that makes sense. But you the reason the that all this made sense to you is because you're now a real estate investor. Right? Yeah, and like I think, that's that's and, the and clear part in my brain that happened.
2: Exactly. That's and true. I think it's so important that the audience hears though that there was like an entire year in the van Again, to use Instagram versus reality, it like looks like I'm living my best life, but all I wanted was to close on a deal. I don't know if you guys have seen that meme of Pablo Escobar where he's like, "I look like I'm okay, but I'm sad because I don't. I want to buy another property." That was me, like the whole (laughs) year. Well,
0: and you're. I mean, just to be fair, too, and we we've had this conversation um, before. You weren't like traveling in the most glamorous situations where you're spending, oh, no. you know, 20, 50, a hundred thousand dollars a month in these locations. Like you're living very simply, but with a purpose.
2: Simply is a very nice way. You can say like dirty backpacker. That's okay. Um, I like will proudly wear that. Um, yeah. I was, I was living on a very tight budget because I knew that this was what I considered delayed gratification And that this was something that, one, I could do. And you can still really enjoy traveling on a budget. Um, It's possible. That's not what I'm advertising for everyone to do. Um, But I was able to do that. And so, yes, you're exactly right. I was not living luxuriously by any means.
0: All right. Well, I love hearing the backstory. It allows for now us to dig into the meat because you did write a book on midterm rentals. And I'd love to understand more about how you identify who is going to be your target for that and and how that's been able to grow and allow you to maybe not be a dirty backpacker, but enjoy a lifestyle of traveling at a a little (laughs) higher level.
2: Yes. I ate at, I ate at a very fancy restaurant in New York Stayed at a very nice hotel this last weekend. It's going to be hard to ever go back to my old ways. So I may just never do it.
0: (laughs) No doubt. All right. Tell us about the midterm rental stuff. I want to, I want to know, like, what are those things that we need to really understand? If this is going to be a strategy, we're going to deploy into our um, passive income journey. What are some of those key strategies I'm sure you break down in your book, which, by the way, if you would, share the name of your book, and maybe a couple of those uh, strategies we need to leave enough off that they will actually go buy it, though.
2: Absolutely. So thank you. The book is called 30 Day Stay, A Real Estate Investor's Guide to Mastering the Medium-Term Rental. And I want to be very clear, if you're an experienced short-term rental host, this book, there will be a lot of pieces that you can kind of skip through. And that's how I we created the book. I wrote the book with Sienna McIntyre. And my goal was for the book to be a reference for you. So if you need help with furnishing, skip to the furnishing chapter. If you're newer and you're like, what was Sarah talking about when she said burr and all these things, then skip to the financing chapter. So I'm really proud of the product because you can use it. Of course, you can read from front to front to cover to cover if you want, but it really can be a great reference point for you. So what I think is important to know if you're considering the medium term rental strategy is property type is gonna be tied to the identity of the tenant you're gonna serve. So there's, I see it, there's a lot of different ways that you can go, but there's essentially you can cater to travel nurses or travel medical professionals, or you can cater to displaced policyholders. Sarah, what's a displaced policyholder? It is someone who has been affected by fire or flood. So with the fires in California, um, even just the tundra that we experienced this winter, there's been a lot of busted pipes, that person's house floods, that person's insurance company is now gonna place them in a property of similar like and size. And so those are two totally different apartment styles, right, a, a travel nurse, is gonna be really happy with a one bedroom, two bedroom apartment. Whereas a family of five that just had their house burned down, they're gonna wanna move into a similar four five or six bedroom home that they just were in. Those are both examples of medium term tenants or MTR tenants.
1: Let me ask you about the way in which the property could be utilized. So I've heard uh, some houses, like larger houses, being a good fit for traveling nurses that are okay with being in close proximity to other travel nurses maybe they're trying to be on a lower budget or or uh, something like that or do you find that that traveling nurse avatar wants their own space with privacy and not having to be kind of in this um you know like group home sort of feel
2: it's a great question, and I think that it's something that every market is different. What I have found and what I've found by talking to hundreds of investors is that, that that shared space is not what they're looking for. I mean, put yourself in their shoes. And this is what I say all the time when it comes to furnishing the place is put yourself in the shoes of your tenant. After a 12-hour shift, they don't want to hang out with a roommate. And oftentimes, they're making four to $5,000 a week even in the midwest and so they're going to be saving money somewhere else in their life but probably not on housing
0: hey,
1: well if you, if you describe it as great as joey did a commune <laughs> i mean group, okay, home. group home may not have been the right term okay i'm, I'm willing to admit I, I would say avoid <laughs> using joey as your marketing agent um, <laughs>
0: Proposed post properties. Welcome to your new group home. Yeah.
2: (laughs) How how are you? I think it's a valid question. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) what I have found from extensive research is that the nurses prefer a one or two
0: bedroom. All right. Let's talk about how do you find those tenants and how do you get those guests or is that in in the short-term rental space, we call them guests. I know
2: I I go back and forth. (laughs) In in
0: the long-term space, they say tenants. Is it like, Ginnets? I mean what what are we calling the what are we calling the midterm?
2: Right. Joey now 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 terrible question wording goes to Russ. All exactly.
1: Right. Yes, passing the baton. <laughs>
2: All right. So, so how I'm finding them. When we're talking about your traditional travel medical professional and also they don't have to be a medical, right? They could be someone who travels. I know someone who travels and like essentially follows hailstorms because he works for an insurance adjuster. So then he's like stationed in that place after a storm. So they don't just have to be travel medical professionals. We'll just call them traditional MTR tenants. I find them through Airbnb and a website called furnishfinder.com. Whereas when you're talking about the displaced insurance policy holders, they may find you, don't get me wrong, they may find you on Airbnb and Furnish Finder. So definitely list in those places. But you also want to take a B2B sales approach, so business-to-business sales approach, and you want to build relationships with these placement companies as well as the insurance companies themselves.
0: I, I love it. Well, give us the name of the book one more time, Sarah.
2: 30 Day Stay.
0: 30 Day Stay. Tribe. if you're interested in getting into the real estate game, but you don't think long-term tenants is your, your bag, or maybe the STR space kind of scares you off because of the potential number of transactions you're going to have and what that may cost, then go to Sarah's website, saradweaver.com and connect with her or read her book and look into this midterm rental site. Uh, or space i'm sorry not site rental space because i think that there is opportunity for us especially as we see regulation changing we're seeing that in our areas uh sarah you know thankfully um the only thing that we've done right it seems like is um find ways to piss off municipalities (laughs) and we're but we, we we just realized that we we did dodge a bullet in one of the new um Cities that we're in, they actually just outlawed short-term rentals in all the residential neighborhoods. And thankfully, we didn't have any uh, single-family homes in those in that city. We only had condos and townhouses and stuff like that, that and apartments that didn't um, meet that that criteria. But it does seem like this would be way friendlier. The last question is I, I leave, I just came to my mind: How does this usually? You know, obviously, we mentioned the. The municipality are creating their their guidelines and regulations what are you seeing when it comes to the hoas because a lot of those homeowners associations have tried to outlaw short-term rentals as well are they more friendly to uh, the midterm rental or, or are we trying to stay away from those areas as well
2: yeah, that's a great question. I personally don't advise investing in HOAs if this is going to be your strategy. There, it's still a gray area. You're seeing some HOAs just use a blanket statement of three, of, of three months or even six months, so like half of the year. Some of them are saying that you can rent out your space only if it's your primary. So then you're back into that group home roommate situation. Or yes. they're just saying that you can't rent them out at all. And so again, I like to be in control of my investment. It's why I invest where I invest and why I I stay away from HOAs.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you for answering these questions. I know there's a million more, but we are out of time. Um, Tribe, don't forget to go to sarahdweaver.com to learn more, to get your copy of the book, to find out other ways that you can work with Sarah. Sarah, thank you for your time today. And um, Tribe, if you got value out of today's podcast, do us the favor, help us beat the big tech algorithm and share, like, uh, you know, get it to your brother, sister, aunt, uncle, whoever needs to hear this, then maybe this is their way to financial freedom and living on their own terms as Sarah has laid out for us today. We love you. We appreciate you. We'll catch you on the next episode. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast.